Thank you for listening to Fellowshipping with Jesus weekly podcast. May this be a time for you to set aside from the cares of this world and to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. John chapter number 2, we're going to read this passage in its entirety. Most people think that these two events do not correlate, but we're going to read the whole chapter, John chapter number 2, and then we'll look at what God has for us. John chapter number 2, verse number 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. When they wondered wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servant which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. When men have well drunk, then that which is worse or inferior. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Why? We don't understand. We don't have an answer. All we know is this. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren, disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out, out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, these things, take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And the disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew, for he knew 
what was in man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. We can come to your throne and ask you for your blessing, ask you for your presence. Now, Father, break forth the bread of life. Allow us to dine upon thy word. Help us to see that we need to believe in thee and not the things around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many ever been to a wedding before? Ever been to a wedding? Ever been to a wedding and then gone to a reception afterwards? All right. How many ever gone to a wedding, gone to a reception, and the food ran out? Some, okay. I've never had that happen because I haven't been to many weddings. Um, I try to avoid them, but <laughs> I'm teasing. I've, I've been to a wedding before, and when we went to the reception, it, the reception was across town, and we all had to drive to it, and we got there. We waited an hour and almost 45 minutes, you hear me, almost two hours, till the, the bridal party came. They were staying back at the church and were taking pictures, and while they were taking pictures, they couldn't agree with what pictures they liked. And they were taking this pose and that pose and this picture and that picture. And then the bride needed to change and do all this kind of stuff. Yeah, she can change out of her bride. I mean, we sat there in that reception hall with nothing but melting iced tea <laughs> and ice water. The tea was not even sweet. You had to put your own sugar in it. And we sat there. That's all we had in uh, butter mints. We had sweet, some tea that you had to sweeten yourself, a glass of water, and some butter mints for almost two hours. People started to leave. They said, we have other things to do. we got to go. I said, that's okay. More food for me. <laughs> but there's something about a wedding and about a, a marriage here that it seems like always something goes wrong. There's always something. I remember uh, Chris and I's wedding. I think it was just a couple hours before the wedding or whatever. Earlier that morning that day, the flowers came in and they were supposed to be pink. They came in purple. And they had to scramble and go and get the right ones and stuff. And can you imagine they were walking down the aisle with the wrong flowers, you know? All kinds of things can go wrong. There's many more things that go wrong. But one thing you don't want to do is run out of food. And especially you don't want to run out of something to drink. And here we have this marriage of Cana. Jesus and his disciples have been invited. They've been called, the Bible says. They were called and disciples to the marriage. When they wanted wine, the Bible says, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, I don't read in the scripture here. Now, I, I like to point these things out because sometimes we hear these stories and we hear about accounts. But we don't really understand uh, what the Bible is saying. It doesn't say that they ran out of wine. It said they wanted it. Now we assume that they had run out. But the Bible just says they just wanted wine. What were they drinking before? I don't know. Maybe it was a different kind of wine. Maybe it was water and everybody was getting bored with water. All we know is that the people wanted wine. Now I have to stop right here and say this. If Wine is a mockery and strong drink is, a, is, is raging. And if it's unwise for princes and those in leadership to drink it, and if the Bible says be not drunk with wine where is in excess, then Jesus Christ cannot go against his own word. 
Many people believe this was alcoholic wine. I say, no, it was not. For Jesus cannot go against his own word. Bible even says not to put the strong drink to your neighbor's lips. You can have wine and it not be fermented. In fact, what we use on the communion table is what we would consider, uh, we say, grape juice. But in the biblical times, it would be considered new wine. New wine is fresh, right from the grapes. Old wine is wine that has sat on the shelf and has aged and has fermented. There's times in the Bible where wine is mentioned. Wine says for the belly. We don't, I don't, I believe that's wrong. I believe you can use a little wine for the belly. What are you talking about? Well, when I have an illness or I have a sickness, I take medicine. If I can't get to sleep, we'll take some NyQuil. That's wine. That's got alcohol in it. That's what helps you. That's what knocks you out. Uh, there's times where you're given medicines to ease pain and ease suffering. The Bible even says someone who, a man who's in pain, a man who's on his deathbed, go ahead and give him a little bit to, to know the pain and to dull the senses. We do that for people nowadays. If they're laying in a hospital bed and they're wrapped with pain, we pump them with drugs and, and uh, things to calm that, the nerves and to allow them to be at rest. Okay? But when it comes to dining... Jesus is not going to give them alcoholic beverages. I strongly believe that. Let's get back in our message. I just have to put that out there because some people just think, oh, it was alcoholic wine, therefore I can go and drink wine. No, it was not. And it's still wrong to do so. It wouldn't be so bad. Listen, <clears throat> this is not my message, but I just got to get on to this. There are things in this world that are controlling people far more than other things. But when it comes to being overtaken by a substance, and that substance begins to ruin our bodies and ruins our minds, that's one thing. But when you take a substance that starts ruining other people's lives, when you start taking a substance that is harmful because your actions are causing other people pain and suffering and even death, why is that not considered more important to get rid of than other things? While I'm on it, I'm just going to say, I don't, I, don't know of, I don't know of one cigarette that's ever caused someone to go off the road and kill a family in their, in their minivan. I don't know of one. But I know of many of ones who have taken a drink and been drunk, driving, wrecked into a family of a minivan and killed a family all, all in one time. We're so, we're so keen on getting rid of the one thing, but the other just remains. I believe sometimes we have our priorities in the wrong places. The reason why we have these situations in our lives is because what we're going to view here. Here, Jesus Christ is at this wedding. In verse number four, Jesus answers his mother. His mother comes and says, look, uh, they, have, they want wine they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, and not in a disrespectful way, but a very respectful way. It says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Some people get hung up on that little phrase. Some people say that he was being disrespectful to his mother. No, he was not. Jesus did not come to do the will of Mary. Okay? 
He came to do the will of his Father in heaven. Now we're thankful that God chose Mary to be the virgin uh, to carry the baby of Jesus and the Son of God and to bear him and to raise him and nurture him to the point now he's old enough to be in ministry and this is his first miracle that's going to take place. And by the way, if this is the first of the miracles, as the Bible says, how did Mary know that he was able to do this? Has Mary ever seen a miracle? Well, to this point, the Bible says this is beginning of miracles that Jesus can in Galilee. This is the beginning of miracles. Up until this point, Jesus hasn't performed any miracle. But there's something about Mary that we're going to find out true to be with the disciples because of this event. See, Mary in this crowd is the only one that's heard the voice of God, heard the message of God from Gabriel the angel. Why, if we took, take our Bibles to John chapter, I mean, to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to turn back there and look at that very briefly. Luke chapter number 2. If you have our Bibles there, look back at Luke chapter 2. I want you to see some things. Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. They were in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch with their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. Angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign of you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The only ones in this crowd in John chapter 2 that knew that this was Jesus Christ, that this was the Son of God, is Mary. The disciples have followed him. They started following him in chapter 1. By the way, they've only followed him for a day. If you look back in chapter number 1, you'll find in verse number 37, two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. They're following him. This is the day following. In verse number 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth in the Galilee and find the Philip. So the day that he was baptized, he finds some of the disciples. The next day, day number 2, he finds more disciples, and then in verse number 1 of chapter 2, you find in the third day, there was a marriage of Cain. These, some of these men have only followed him for half a day, some of them for a day and a half. They have not seen a miracle. They have not heard hardly a word from God. All they know is this man is different. All they know is this man has something special in his life. For they just saw the baptism of Jesus literally two and a half, three days ago. And they saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove upon Jesus. When John baptized you, they were witnessing of that. Then they went forth and brought their brothers and their friends and some of the other, other disciples. Now we have several of them following Jesus. They have not seen a miracle yet. They don't really know who this man really is. They've heard about him. They've read about him. They have just now found out that this is the Son of God, and they barely, barely, barely understand what this means. Now comes his disciples, now comes Jesus to a marriage, and at this marriage there is something going on that is of a need. They need some wine. 
They have no, they, none. They want some. And Mary knows in her heart that Jesus can do something. How many of you this morning know that Jesus can do something special? How many times you wonder, why doesn't he do it? How many of you know that in your heart, God can do something miraculous in your life? How many of you know God can do something miraculous in the lives of others? But you wonder why he doesn't. Or you wonder, why don't they believe that he can? See, you know something they don't. You know something that Mary knew that the disciples did not know. Look at verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. When Jesus answered his mother, he said, Look, I am a, my hour has not yet come. What do I have to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. In other words, the moment that he is to reveal who he is has not yet come. You know, sometimes waiting on God is a very difficult thing to do. God doesn't move on our timetable. And sometimes I'm glad he doesn't. How many of you ever prayed for something and later on you realize you're glad you didn't answer that prayer? How many times do you think you prayed for something that you thought was necessary, but you found out it wasn't necessary? For instance, what if you said, what if your prayer was one day, Father, I need uh, more money in my paycheck. Father, will you please give me some more money in my paycheck? Your paychecks come for four months, and there's not one penny extra in those paychecks. But one of your power bills come in to say, you paid too much on certain bill, and we're going to credit you $200. Now, did he increase your paycheck? No. But did he decrease your bills? Does that increase your paycheck? Yeah, at least how well you do. So just because he doesn't answer in the way you ask doesn't mean he has an answer. Sometimes waiting on God is the hardest thing to do. Some of you have prayed for things. Uh, multiple years you prayed for something that took that long for God to answer that prayer. All his mother knew was he can do something. I'll let him do it in his own time. And then he tells the servants, whatever he says, do it. Whatever Jesus says, you need to do that. Sometimes all I can say to a loved one is, just obey the, bar, the Bible. Obey God's word. Do what Jesus said to do. Don't do anything extra. Don't do anything less. Do exactly what he said to do. And see if God will bless. Many times I hear people who, they'll call or they'll, Send a message and something's wrong in their life. Oftentimes it's something financial. Many times it's something of health. And you know what? As a Mary, as just a human being, who knows that God can do great things, but I have no idea how he's going to or when he's going to and to what extent he's going to, but all I can say to people sometimes is, God will take care of it. Do you know that's the hardest thing to tell people? Because it sounds so easy to say. 
You understand what I'm saying? Somebody just lost a loved one. Somebody just lost a job. Somebody just lost some, some, something. They gained some uh, incredible news. And it's a shock. And it's a, it's a surprise. And you don't know what to say sometimes. You say, listen, God's going to take care of it all. And that seems so easy to say. That's what Mary is saying right here. She said, look, they have no wine. I have no idea where to get wine. Jesus, they're out of wine. And his answer is, it's okay. It'll take, I'll take care of it in my time. It'll all work out. So then she turns to the people looking at her and he's, she says, just do whatever he says. You know, sometimes that's all we can do for other people. Sometimes that's all I can give other people in the time of need is just trust God. Let him work out the details. So verse number six, there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of purifying Jews. In other words, these pots were sitting there for the purification. By the way, back in Jewish time, before you could come into a, uh, a house or to a place like this, especially uh, into a wedding like this, you had to wash your hands. You had to wash your feet. Because people were wearing sandals and people were living kind of dirty lives. There wasn't a bathroom in every house and there wasn't a place to wash up everywhere. There wasn't any kind of indoor plumbing or anything like that. You had six water pots sitting next to the door. You walked in, you washed your hands in one and rinsed them in another. Then you stuck your foot in another <laughs> or splashed water on your feet to wash your feet. You say, do we still do that today? Yes. When the kids come in, what do you say to them? Wipe your feet. Wash your hands. What are we doing during this pandemic that we're in? Wash your hands and all this kind of stuff. Make sure you're clean. Jesus said, I want to use those water pots. What? Watch this. He said, I want you to take those. He said, fill the water pots with water. And they fill them up to the brim. I like that. Mary said, whatever he says, do it. He says, fill up the water pots. And they filled all the way to the brim. They weren't, they weren't about to bring Jesus something that was half full. This is not my message for the moment, but I could take that and make a message out of this. God wants to take dirty water pots, fill it up with fresh, clean water of his word, right to the brim. Just get as full as the Bible as you can. And then when God pours out a blessing on others through your life, people can enjoy it. I like the faith of these servants. They, they fill those water pots to the brim. The Bible says in verse number 8, and he said to them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. You know how the story goes. The ruler, he takes his wine, he tastes it. He didn't know where it came from. When he had tasted it, he called for the bridegroom. He said, what are you doing? You have saved the best for last. He said, everybody. Look at verse 10. Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. When I have well drunk, then which is worse? In other words, if you serve the bad stuff first, no one's going to want to drink it. So you serve the good stuff. In other words, the new stuff. You serve the new stuff first. Then as it winds out and starts to run out, you serve the bad stuff. In other words, you start with the good and you go towards the bad. He said, you save the good for the last. What's going on? 
I also like in verse number 9 when he says this. That the servants which drew the water. They knew where it came from. Think about this. Their, their pots are filled with water. They go and they, they, they draw out. When they draw out it is wine. I've heard people say well. This was not really a miracle. Jesus was a scientist. That for 30 years he had discovered things. That we have only discovered in the past 20th century. How that. Somehow Jesus knew scientifically how to dry out the grapes and, and condense them down to powder. And when you pour them into water, change the water to the wine. Kind of like a Kool-Aid kind of a thing. God, just, Jesus was not making Kool-Aid. Alright? I want you to understand though, this miracle was not some great... I mean, it's, it's a miracle, yes, but think about this. How do you make grape juice today? Where do the grape juice come from? From grapes. How do the grapes get the juice... They're connected to the vine. How does, the, how does the vine get juice to the grapes? From the ground. What's it getting from the ground? Water. God's making that miracle happen every single day. Through the water, through the ground, through the vine, through the leaves. And then to the grapes. And the grapes turn into juice. All God did was skip the whole process. Do you realize that something you believe is just a natural occurrence of God? God can make it a miracle in a second. I've heard many times people gone into the doctor. They said they have cancer. We've got to, get, we've got to do a scan. We are, we are positive you have cancer. <laughs> then they come in, go for the scan. After God and God's people have been praying for God to deliver these people, they go in, do a scan, can't find cancer. It's gone. It's happened before. You say, well, it didn't happen for me. Well, maybe it hasn't happened yet. You see, God is the great physician. God is the omnipotent. God is the one who is in control of nature and everything that's around us. He can give miracles even today. He can give life when life is, is said to be distant. God can restore health. God can restore physical strength. He can do it if it's necessary for his people. He's a miracle working God. Just because we live in the 21st century, don't, don't you ever think that God can't work miracles today. Right. Why, just the fact when the baby leaves the womb of the mother and takes that first breath and starts to... How in the world can that, can that baby live inside, inside the mother without a breath? But as soon as it's out, it has to take a breath. As soon as it does, it just starts breathing on its own. And just start. That's a miracle, folks. How can, how can God take, take these things? And do, God is a miracle-working God. You serve a wondrous God this morning. They draw out this wine. They give it to the governor. They don't know where it came from. Then the, the governor asks the bridegroom, he said, Thou hast kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of miracles. Now let's kind of get out. I've kind of broke down that miracle for you. That's what the miracle's about. Changing water to wine. But what was the purpose of this miracle? Let me say this. God never performs miracles without a purpose in mind. God never performs a miracle without some kind of purpose for the miracle. And oftentimes the miracle can be for the person that's happening to, or that miracle could be happening for somebody else in the presence of the miracle. 
Look what he says, verse number 11. This beginning of miracles of Jesus in Canaan Galilee and manifested forth his glory. I don't know what miracle you like in the Bible, but every single one manifests the glory of God. Can you perform a miracle this morning? I can't. You can't. I cannot manifest the glory of God through performing a miracle this morning. I can't. Only Jesus as a man and as God can give manifestation of the glory of God through the miracles that he worked. He could not have done this if he was just a man. He could not have done this if he was just a prophet. He couldn't have done this if he was just some type of good person. The only way a man can work a miracle and show forth the glory of God, he has to be God. So standing right in front of all those people at the wedding, and right in front of all those disciples that have just started to follow him, and in front of Mary, and now in front of the whole world, he is saying to us, as he said to them that day through that miracle, he's God. There's nothing that surprises God. I like what Corey Tinboom I heard her once say, there are no surprises in heaven. No surprises. There's no problems in heaven. Only plans. Whatever it is we have in our life, he can work a miracle. You know, it's a miracle for me to leave this planet and go to a, a third heaven and dwell with the Holy Father. You know, that's a miracle. Can any of you go to heaven today? Can, it, can we say, all right, let's get a bus. We're going to heaven. Let's go. Like the old preacher, he said, Jesus could come this morning and Jesus could come tonight. The old man in the back, he said, oh, I hope my wife will hear that. She'll want to go both times. <laughs> the things that we live around, I mean, the, the events in our lives, the births, the, the celebrations, the marriages, the, the, the having the children and grandchildren and the friends and the families and we're all around all kinds of people and works and places. We're all around these people. None of us can work a miracle to manifest the glory of God. But look what the Bible says. In verse number 11 it says, He manifests forth His glory and His disciples what? In verse number 11, His disciples believed on Him. Now watch. And that after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and disciples, and they continued there not many days. Now, they go down to Jerusalem. They go down to this Passover in Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. They're buying and selling oxen sheep. They're not supposed to be doing that. This is what they're supposed to do. Watch. People are supposed to come to the temple and offer sacrifices for sins. They're supposed to bring a goat, a bull, um, sheep. Uh, a dove, something like that. And depending on how wealthy you were, you had to bring those animals to the temple. They had to be pure. They had to be spotless. And they had to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. Okay? But there was a thing that once Jerusalem and Israel grew to the size it was, there were people coming from afar away. And sometimes people could not bring their livestock. So what they would do, they would bring money and exchange money for the sacrifice. So suppose 
uh, suppose Bill and Patty, they live uh, an hour and a half away from the temple. And they couldn't, they couldn't put the sheep in the chariot. The only had the room was for uh, Bill and Patty in the chariot. They couldn't take the sheep and the oxen with them. So instead of doing that, they would come down to the temple. They would walk in and say, here's $50 in exchange for, for a sheep. And now you can sacrifice that sheep. So people wouldn't have to bring other livestock where people from a far country couldn't come in. Or maybe a stranger could come in town and want to participate. They didn't have livestock. They could exchange money for the sacrifice. Does that make sense? But what's happening was, instead of the sheep being $50, they would charge you 60 So the temple would get 10 Selling it at a profit, basically. Look at verse 14. Found in the temple those sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. He makes a small scourge out of cords and he drives them out. He overturns the money. He overturns everything, runs them all out, runs out all the sheep and the oxen and everything. He just sends everything out. And he sent it to him, verse number 16. Take these things hence. Make not my house, father's house, a house of merchandise and other gospels. He said, this is my house, uh, Father's house of prayer. Boy, I can really get onto a stump here. People charging, overcharging for God's house. I don't ever want anybody to come in the doors of a place and feel like they have to put something in an offering place. I don't want people ever to think they have to give some type of, of monetary value in order to receive some type of blessing from, from the singing or from the preaching. We are not about money. Now, does it take money to run a temple? Yeah. Does it take money to run a church? Yes. Does it take money to, to fund the things that the church wants to take care of and, 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 and pursue? Of course it does. But I believe just as much as God turned water into wine, just as much as God took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000, just as much God can, can feed the, the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years and the shoes never wear out and their clothes never wear out, just the same, if God needs it, he'll give it to us. I'm a firm believer in it. I'm also a firm believer is <laughs> if we are taking more if we are putting more out than we're bringing in, then we need to change what we're going out. Does that make sense? I don't want people to think that we've got to keep paying for something if we can't afford it. That's what was going on here. They were overcharging people for what they were doing. And the last thing I want to ever do is overcharge people. I don't want people to think that we are about money and about, and about merchandise. He just said, make not my father's house a house of merchandise, a place to make money. I've always been against people who come into church and try to, uh, let me be very careful here, and trying to um, get the people to buy into a product or something. You know, have people come in, and, you know, listen, if you're trying to sell something around here, I'm not trying to get onto anyone's case. I'm, all I'm saying is this. There are people that will go from church to church to church, and all they're doing is trying to get people to buy the product that they're selling. And when everybody has bought who will buy, then they'll go on down to the next church and make merchandise out of that church. By the way, preachers do the same thing. What? 
Preachers, yeah, preachers make merchandise in God's house too. I know none of you are susceptible to those kind of things, but there are people in churches all over America where the pastor stands and does a boo-hoo sermon about not enough money for his padded pew, uh, padded seat Lincoln and, and for his Mer- his Mercedes and, and for his golf trips. and Hello. You can go online and read, watch videos of, of men who are being prosecuted for spending money on clothing, $400,000 on clothes and shoes and automobiles and stuff like that. One <laughs> guy... And they, oh, he, he bought the, his ministry, bought this humongous mansion, and it was a staff retreat. It was for them, for the staff to, to go and have some. I, it's a mansion. The place is a mansion. And they're literally taking God's people's money and using it for their own profits. This is what God hates. This is what Jesus drove them out for. But why does he do this? You say he just performed a miracle. This is a miracle right here. You don't think it is? <laughs> Look at it again. Who else can drive out the money changers? Could the disciples come in and say, y'all get out of here? No. Who can only rid a place of evil? Jesus. Who can take merchandise hungry people and drive them out of a temple only Jesus can, and only Jesus can say, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Listen, I can't go into a church and say, y'all quit doing all this money stuff. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. I can't do that. Why? Because it's not, I, I am not Jesus. Are you Jesus? No, we're not. I can't go down the street and tell the church what to do. I can go across town and tell the ministry what to do. I can't do that, but there's one who can do that, and that's Jesus Christ. Something only Jesus can do is a miracle. And I'm telling you, how many times do you think the poor people of that town, the poor people of the, of the city of Jerusalem going in there and being scammed and being conned and being stolen of their precious valuables and things from people who are running the temple? I wonder how long they felt the, the pain of, of having to pay extra money and seeing these wicked men being in charge of God's house. I wonder how many times they prayed for someone to deliver their temple from these evil men. I wonder how many times churches across America have prayed for the, the wolves in sheep's clothing to leave the church of God and quit dining upon the things of, of, of people's giving, the people's tithes, the people's offering, and people's sacrifices of helping. I wonder how many churches are still burdened by Satan and his deceivers in churches. And, and I wonder how many times and how much people have prayed and all they need is Jesus Christ to come in and rid that place. I tell you, I'm a firm believer. If a man gets up in the pulpit, takes the word of God, and says, thus saith the word of God, all that stuff is going to go flying out the doors. Why? Because they can't stand to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Do you know the Bible says that the, the, the devil's fear and tremble? Sometimes people are not seeing the miracle of Jesus Christ because nobody's taking Jesus Christ with them. 
Jesus here, he says, destroy this temple, raise it up. They don't understand what he's saying. The Bible says in verse 22, when therefore it was, he was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. When the disciples saw what Jesus did at the marriage of, the, of Cana, they believed. And then when they remembered his words that in three days he would raise up the temple, meaning his own body. Verse number 22 is a fast forward to after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's telling you that when the disciples heard these words, they didn't understand it. But when they saw it come to pass, they believed. They believed. What did they believe in verse 23? This one I want you to get this morning. They believed in his name. They believed in his name. The very name of Jesus. It wasn't some man that stood on a boat and said, peace be still. It was Jesus stood in that boat and said, peace be still. And the winds and the waves calmed instantly. It wasn't just some man that said, Lazarus, come forth. It was Jesus who stood there and said, Lazarus, come forth. It wasn't some man that said, take up thy bed and walk. It was Jesus that told that cripple to take up his bed and walk. It wasn't some man that told Darius that his daughter was healed and his daughter was alive. It was Jesus that said that. And it wasn't just some man that hung on the cross. It wasn't just some man that was buried in a tomb. It wasn't just some man three days rose again. It was Jesus Christ who did all those things. It wasn't just some God either. It was Jesus Christ. You see, they didn't believe in God in verse 23. They believed in the name of Jesus when they saw the miracles which he did. Let me ask you this question very quickly. We're going to close. Do you believe in Jesus enough to see the miracles working around you? You see, the, the, the bridegroom and the governor didn't understand what happened. They didn't understand how this water turned to wine. They didn't understand how it happened. Only the servants knew. But when the disciples saw it, they believed it. How many times do you think Jesus performs miracles in your life and my life and we don't even take time to realize it? How many times do you think God takes care of the church of God and takes care of the sins of the, of the leaders of the church and drives them out and gets rid of that stuff so they can flourish and grow in, in the grace and mercy of God? How many times do you think that stuff's going on and nobody takes time to realize it? This morning, has Jesus worked a miracle in your life? Give him glory for it. Has Jesus blessed you with a place of worship? Has Jesus blessed you with a place of prayer? A place of encouragement? Not a place of discouragement? <clears throat> I'll say this. In my time of 36 years on earth, Since I was saved at age nine in church pretty much from that time forward. There have, been, there have been times I was a part of a church that I dreaded going to. 
because of the evil workers in the place. And how many times we would pray and pray and pray that somehow God would give deliverance in that place. And it wasn't until someone would get up and honestly preach the word of God. You know, Jesus makes the devil uncomfortable. You know, the Bible says that if you submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he will flee from thee. We're going to leave in just a moment. We're going to close. We're going to say our farewells to each other. We're going to talk a little bit, but we're going to go out those doors. When we go out those doors, we're going to get in our chariots. <laughs> and we're all going to be separated. And unless you see each other through the week, we might not see each other again until next Sunday. And with the things that are going on in this world, you and I know, we might not even be able to meet back here again next Sunday. You realize one Sunday we were here and the next we weren't allowed to be here? Allowed. <laughs> Y'all, we, we're seeing this, aren't we? You're seeing your world change just with a stroke of a pen of a man in power. Somebody says, this is how it's going to be and that's how it is. And all our lives are changed in just moments. Sometimes it seems like the good times have run out. Sometimes it seems like the way it used to be is never going to be the way it is anymore. It seems like the evil men and seducers are just going to keep waxing worse and worse. Yes, they are. I think we're finally starting to see some of that. At least in this country. Do we need a miracle? Yeah. Who's going to stop the abortions? How's that ever going to stop? Who's going to stop the broken homes? Who's going to stop the child abuse? Who's going to stop the, the profanity? Who's going to stop the drugs? Who's going to stop the alcohol? Who's going to stop all this? How is this all going to change? Do you think it's getting better? Or do you think it's getting worse? What do y'all think? So what do we do? What do you do when the wine runs out? What do you do when the evil men are running the churches and running the leaderships and, and controlling it? What do we do? We turn to the one who we believe. We turn to the name of Jesus. And if history does repeat itself, we may have a revival on our heels. We may not be far from people turning back to God. Thank you for listening to Fellowshipping with Jesus weekly podcast. May this be a time for you to set aside from the cares of this world and to come and sit at the feet of Jesus.